Well, it is good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Garrison. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas. Uh, we're very glad that you're here this morning. If you want to open up in your Bibles to Psalm 4, Psalm 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be white paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, turn to Psalm 4. Um, If this is your first time here, uh, or even if you've been coming for a little bit and you're just wondering how to get more involved uh, here at Veritas, um, there's a a Connect card. It's attached to your bulletin that you received when you walked in this morning. Uh, If you would take a moment, just fill that out and uh, let us know how we can get in touch with you and and, uh, let us know... um, just uh, what, what sort of information you might be looking for uh, uh, concerning our, our church family, what God is doing here in our church family. And uh, there's also a space for a prayer request in there. We'd love to, to be able to know how to pray for you this week. If you'd take a few moments, jot a few things down there, and turn it into um, either the bucket in the back, that's where offerings and connect cards go, that little silver bucket all the way in the back there. There's a black box at the welcome table. Uh, and, and that's just a good way for us to get connected with you and and know how we can be praying for you. We, we literally go through those, and we pray through those uh, every single week, the elders and I do. Um, and so we, we'd love to be able to know how to pray for you and know how to get in touch with you. All right, let's dig into Psalm 4. Uh, we're in a sermon series, uh, Psalms, the, the Rhythm and Practice of Prayer During the Season of Lent, as we're exploring uh, how to order our prayer lives and, and how to pray. Uh, uh, God did not leave us uh, with uh, having to guess how we're to approach him and, and how we're to pray. He's given us uh, his word, um, and he's given us uh, particularly the book of Psalms, wherein he puts his words in our mouths to speak back to him. Uh, and so the Psalms is a wonderful uh, text for us to explore as we consider how God's people might pray, and that's what we're looking to do here this morning. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, we're reading Psalm 4, and let's listen with reverence and joy because this is the voice of our God. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us the way of rest in your word, the way of peace in your word, and that you have offered yourself to us as our peace, as our rest, as our refuge. And so would you help us to see you as that here this morning, to, to find our rest and our peace and our refuge in you. 
Would you help us to be satisfied with your presence, to be satisfied with hearing your, your tender voice and meeting you in your tender compassion? Would you satisfy us with your presence, Lord? Because we, we, we thirst after you. Our, our souls thirst after you like we're in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We, we hunger for you, Lord. Our souls wait for you more than watchmen for the morning. And so would you satisfy us? Would you meet with us? Would you satisfy us with your presence, God? We need you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, if you've been with us in the last several weeks, you you might be seeing a sort of rhythm or um, a sort of pattern emerge from the the, uh, scripture text that we've been focusing on. Uh, At the start of our series uh, of of sermons and the Psalms, we looked at Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1, we we see uh, God's definition of uh, a truly blessed life. Um, And and there's a particular practice commended in Psalm 1, the practice of meditating on God's word both day and and night, take, taking your copy of God's word uh, or a portion of scripture stored in your memory and uh, prayerfully reflecting on it with openness uh, to personal spir- spiritual direction uh, every day, morning and evening. In the morning when you rise and in the evening before you lay your head down to rest. That's where we started in Psalm 1. And then last week, uh, Pastor Dan uh, led us as we looked at Psalm 5. And in Psalm 5, we, we saw a prayer composed by David, um, a, a, a psalm composed by David uh, for the morning, in the morning and for the morning. Uh, this man, David, uh, arose in the morning with a sense of urgency and need. He, he runs to God. He says, give ear to my words, O God. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. That's how David starts his day. Uh, And we were beckoned to do the same. We saw that we, we must pray. Um, and, and, and that must, it means more than just a sense of, of obligation, although we have that too, but, but it's that we must pray because God is, is our everything. He's enough for us. He's the only thing that's enough for us because we're needy, because we're dependent upon him for every good thing. Psalm 5 is a prayer for the beginning of your day. It's a morning prayer. And now this morning we're looking at Psalm 4. And Psalm 4 has often been referred to as an evening hymn or an evening prayer. Uh, Reason being, as we look at the words of the psalm, you might have noticed it's obvious that David is is praying and composing the psalm in the the darkness of the evening as, as night falls and before he retires to his bed for the night. And we'll see that uh, he's just had a terrible day. He's had an awful day. Uh, He feels like he's sort of teetering on the edge here. Now, he's in need of rest. He's in need of peace. He needs to know that he's going to dwell in safety tonight. And so he prays before retiring for the night. And again, David recommends that we do the same. This is an evening prayer, a prayer to end your day with. And so we see this rhythm, this, this pattern emerging, morning and evening meditation on God's word, morning and evening prayer, morning and evening sacrifice, um, morning and evening communing with God in prayer. Early in the Psalter, I mean, we're just in the first five psalms of, of the book right now. And early in the Psalter here, we, we see this Psalter. He leads us, the, the teacher leads us to see this rhythm of morning and evening 
prayer, just like the rhythm of, of the sun rising and the sun setting and uh, the tide rising, the tide falling, and, and, the, and the rhythm of us waking in the morning and falling asleep at night, just in the same way God's people are called to be a people that pray in these rhythms. It's, it's, like, it's sort of like breathing in in the morning, getting a, a big belly full of air, and then at night, exhaling and giving all of your struggles and worries of the day to the Lord and trusting him with them. Last Sunday, we spent time reflecting on and being encouraged in morning prayer. And this Sunday, we're going to spend time reflecting on and being encouraged in evening prayer, ending your day in prayer, coming to the end of your day with all of your, your busyness, all of its annoyances and anxieties, all of its deadlines and doubts and disturbances, all of its projects and plans and pains, and transition from all of that to deep, uninterrupted, soul-satisfying rest. And you might be thinking, yeah, that sounds like a unicorn. Like, that's just not a reality for me right now. I got kids. But this is what God is beckoning us to. Uh, God is beckoning us to deep rest, deep, soul-satisfying, refreshing peace. And so Psalm 4 has a good word for us this morning. As we quiet down in the evening and, and replay the scenes of our day in our mind, as we're tempted to dwell on the past hurts of the day, the confrontations of the day, if we're tempted to give in to despair and anger in the midst of it all, there's a God who meets us there, and he is himself our rest and our refuge. In the psalm, we see David's great need for rest in verse 1, uh, verses 2 to 3. In 6 to 7, he's setting up a series of tensions and pains and things that he's struggling with in those verses. And then in verses 4 to 5, David is commending a, a particular set of practices that lead us to communion with God and rest. And then in verse 8, we see David receiving rest as a, as a fruit of his communion with God. And the, and the big idea that these lyrics present to us is that we pray in the evening because God alone is our rest. We pray in the evening because God alone is our rest. And we'll unpack that by looking at first, needing rest, second, practicing rest, and third, receiving rest. Needing rest, practicing rest, and receiving rest. First, we see David's great need for rest. Uh, in the first verse, we, we see David waste no time. He right away jumps into it and exclaims in a frenzy, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. And hear my prayer. So the psalm, it, it closes with, with peace and rest, but it opens in a frenzy. David is in distress here. He's in anguish. David is, is uh, at least in a sort of emotional emergency here. Uh, now, there's been some speculation regarding what David's situation and circumstances might be here. This might have been written uh, during an event that we see in 2 Samuel 15 to 16, where David's son Absalom uh, conspired against David to have him removed from his throne and killed his own child, conspiring to kill him. Uh, Psalm 3 was actually uh, most definitely written during that occasion. And Psalm 4 employs com uh, uh, some kind of uh, similar language. And so that could perhaps be true. Uh, all, others tend to think that David composed this psalm at a time when he was fleeing from King Saul. Uh, before David was seated on the throne of Israel, there were several times in his life where Saul was in pursuit of David to put him to death. And so this, of course, could be an occasion uh, wherein David would be in great distress and, and pen these words. But in all reality, the words uh, of this psalm are somewhat ambiguous. We don't know exactly what David is going through in his life here. We don't know uh, much concerning the occasion for this psalm. 
psalm besides that it was prayed in and composed in the evening and that David was in great distress. And in his great distress, this is more important, what he does in his distress, in his great distress, he calls out to God. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And interestingly, we we see why David does this. Uh, Look at the word word sandwiched between the two petitions in verse 1. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So David has been in situations like this one before. Like he's been in distress before. He's been in anguish before. And when he's been in those seasons and times of anguish and pain, God has given him relief. And so he's crying out to God uh, for present relief uh, based on past relief. He's, he's crying out to God for present deliverance on the basis of his past mercies. Uh, he's, he remembers times and seasons wherein he has been desperate for relief, desperate for deliverance, desperate for help, desperate for rest. And he remembers that in those times and seasons, the Lord has shown up time and time again, like he always does. And the word for relief here literally means to make space, to make an opening, to give room to breathe. And the word for distress means something along the lines of like being trapped, being hemmed in, being surrounded at every sign, being overwhelmed by the pressures of life. Which I think if we're honest, not many of us have to work very hard to uh, imagine what that's like. Most of us have been in places in our lives before where we feel oppressed and, and smothered by a set of circumstances or, 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 or by our surroundings or, or by a sort of emotional state, whether it's a family situation that you didn't ask for or a, or a job situation or, or mental health issues or whatever else it might be. There are times in life where you just long for space, long for just room to breathe, just a moment to exhale and rest. You feel trapped and overwhelmed by the pressures of life. And as we read on, we understand a little bit more about what David is going through. Again, it's still fairly vague. And, and I think the reason that it's fairly vague is that uh, you see in, the, in the, actually the first uh, verse, the sort of title of the psalm, uh, we see that, that it's actually supposed to, the psalm was penned to be used for corporate worship. That's why those, uh, those words selah are in there. Those are liturgical words meant to give sign to the Israelites in their corporate worship that they're either to stop for a moment and reflect or sing those uh, lines again. It's, it's meant for corporate worship, and so it's sufficiently vague for that reason. Uh, but in verses 2 and verses 6, we see a bit more of what has got David in distress. In verse 2, David writes, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So part of the reason that David is so distraught is because he's being slandered. He's being slandered. His character is being maligned. He's hearing the murmurings and the mutterings throughout the kingdom that are questioning his character, questioning his calling, questioning his competency as king. And again, you, you likely don't need to use your imagination much to identify with David here. If, if you've ever felt fundamentally misunderstood, if, if, if you've ever been the subject of gossip, if you've ever been the subject of a conversation where you were represented in a negative light and you were not there to defend yourself, if, if, if you've ever uh, been misunderstood, wrongly suspected, falsely accused, been taunted and mocked, you, you know how David feels here. 
You too have wondered, how long will my reputation be maligned and lies be spoken about me? How long will I meet this this shame for my reputation? And then not only slander, but but David is facing the people of Israel pressing in and and pressuring David as they complain and, and question God's care and provision for them. As king, you know, David bears a lot of responsibility for his people, and the people complained to him, like they complained to Moses in the wilderness for food and for provision. They complained to David. They say, there are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And people think that all of their problems will be solved if, if they can just get enough money, enough possessions, more food, more wine, bigger houses. And God is nothing more to them than a means to an end to get them that stuff. And so they complain to David. They won't let him be. And in this instance, they're not only maligning David's character, but God's character. In their unbelief, they're saying, if God is as good as you say he is, then he will give us fill in the blank, wine and, and corn and grain. It's similar to, to you know, I, I think David, the, the, what he's facing here is similar to maybe uh, what, what parents face on a daily basis, only magnified because it's an entire kingdom. You know, your kids complain when they're hungry, but then they complain because of what you give them to eat. They complain because they're tired, but then they complain because they don't want to go to sleep at night. They complain and they complain, and, and you're trying to help them and train them and, and, and discipline to help them understand, but sometimes you wonder, is this getting through at all? And the complaining just keeps coming, and by the end of the day, you're just weary. It's exhausting. David is facing something similar with the people of Israel, the the complaining, the whining. Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David is in distress. He's being slandered. He's dealing with the complaints of his people. And so as David's day comes to an end, he feels like he's coming to his end. He's, He's desperate for rest and refuge. He's desperate for peace and safety. He's in an urgent search for relief and respite as he retires to his bed. Which if you're anything like me, you know all too well. If you're anything like me, as, as even tide approaches, the scenes of your day start to play through your mind. And you start to, to dwell on those unkind words spoken about you. You, you begin to brood on the confrontations of the day. You begin to, to ruminate on past wrongs and, and present risks. You, you begin to fret over things that really you have no control over. You begin to reflect on all the circumstances and situations that are less than ideal, and you take all of those worries and anxieties to bed with you to replay the events and the confrontations of your day and just despair. That's that's the real battle at the end of every day. And this is where David is. I mean, you can just picture him. He's retiring to his bed for the night. He's got this candle, and before he blows it out, he just lets out a big sigh. My goodness. All the difficulties and troubles of the empire, his family issues, all the confrontations he's weathering, his his weaknesses and limitations in it all. It's all just weighing down on him. He's tired, and not just like body tired. The man is soul tired. Have you ever been so tired that your soul is tired? That's where David is right now. This is a man in need of rest and refuge, and he finds it, though, in his God. And so I would simply ask you, when you come to the end of a day like that, where do you run to? Do you, you you know, comfort yourself by replaying the scenarios 
in your mind and, and, and imagining revenge and justice taking place? Do you plot and plan for how you're going to, do you, do you, you know, pacify yourself? Do you comfort yourself by, by, by planning uh, revenge and, 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 and how you're going to get even? Do you run to a little blue screen filled with endless entertainment? Do you go to social media wherein you present uh, a perfect version of your life for others' consumption? Do you run to Netflix? Do you run to entertainment and distraction and novelty? David shows us a better way. He commends, actually, a, a particular set of practices. Number two, practicing rest. Verses four to five, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So there are, um, there are kind of six practices here, but they're presented in three pairs. The first one is be angry and do not sin. I love how realistic and human and gritty this is. Because, listen, the reality is that no day is perfect. Every day is chock full of things that you wish had gone differently, that you wish hadn't happened. Other people in your life drop the ball. Other people in your life do things wherein they don't consider you. Other people in your life do uh, say unkind things to you and, and vice versa. And David says here, at the end of your day, look at all those frustrations in their face and, and be angry about them. It's, it's okay to be, uh, don't offer excuses for the wrongs committed by others. Don't gloss over any reality that you've been wronged by others. Don't sugarcoat the day. Face your day squarely and be angry. It, it's, it's okay to be angry sometimes. There are, there's most definitely a sinful kind of anger, and sometimes uh, anger can lead to further sin, no doubt about it. But, but there is such a thing as just anger. There are times when you are justified in your anger. God is angry at sin and at injustice, and it's okay for you to be angry at sin and injustice as well. There are times where you do well to be angry. Face your day squarely and be angry, but... But, David says, be angry and do not sin. So as your day comes to an end and you're angry, it's okay to be angry. But in the quiet of the evening, this is, the, the quiet of the evening is not an opportunity to plan and plot vengeance or determine how you're going to make things right or, or to think about all the things you could have said or did to that person when they said that unkind thing to you. Rather, those quiet and slow moments we experience before we go to sleep, they're an opportunity to give your anger and the things that made you angry to God and to trust him with them. I love what Eugene Peterson said about this. He said, what's wrong with the world is God's business. And it's a business in which you will have a part come morning when you get your assignment. Meanwhile, God is giving help at a far deeper level than any of your meddling will ever reach. And nothing says that more profoundly than just going to sleep with an easy conscience. Just going to sleep with a quiet conscience. That's, that is an act of faith. Be angry and do not sin. Offer your anger in the things that made you angry to the Lord and trust him with them. And then David says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. 
So we not only face our, our interactions and confrontations with others and, 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 and consider where we've been sinned against or wounded or, or hurt by others, but we look at ourselves. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. Um, some translations say something along the lines of, of commune with your own heart or say to your own heart or meditate on your own heart. And do this on your beds, which, which would mean do this when you're alone in your bed in those sw- slow, quiet moments before you drift off to sleep. What David is calling us to here is quiet self-reflection. To not just be angry about the wrongs done to us by others, but to be self-critical as well. Taking time to slow down and actually ponder, to consider your own heart. And if your days are, are anything like mine, you, you absolutely need this. You know, if I'm not careful, my, my days can end up being filled nonstop stuff from beginning to end every single day. I've got to read this book and I've got to write this paper and I've got to prepare for this sermon. I've got to meet uh, with this series of, of people here and I've got to, I've got to uh, go home and I've got to play with the kids. I've got to run this errand. I've got to have this meeting after the kids go to bed at night. And, and then uh, I just want to collapse at the end of the day from exhaustion so I can wake up tomorrow and do it all over again. And if we make a habit of doing that day after day, we can be very effective in life. We can get a lot done, no doubt about it. But, but, but we may get a lot done, but we end up being very, very shallow people without an inch of depth. And so I, I beg of you, when the end of your day comes, put your phone down. Put your phone away. Put social media away from your mind ponder in your own heart on your bed and be silent. Just be quiet. Just be silent for 10 to 15 minutes. We're constantly running to entertainment and novelty and noise, but God is telling us that we need these ancient rhythms of pondering and silence and prayer. We must take time at the end of the day to get reacquainted with ourselves, to to consider the person that God calls his beloved. We need to consider our limitations and our weaknesses and sins and mortality. We need to consider uh, where in our day we've been that person that wronged others and given them cause to be angry as they lay down at night. We need to make space to repent for yelling at our kids or, or thinking or speaking uh, in anger to that coworker, for not being present to our spouse, for cowering at the opportunity that we had to share the gospel. Do you you make time in your life to confess those things to God? Do you make time? Do you make space in your life to repent on a daily basis? We don't want to be people that are effective but shallow and unrepentant. We don't want to be people that get a lot done but are absolutely oblivious. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Next, David says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So we see in, this, in the scriptures this pattern for morning and evening prayers also accompanied in the Old Testament by, by morning and evening sacrifice. You know, the, the beasts and the birds were offered on the altar as offerings of worship and atonement to God every morning and every evening in Israel. But, but here David is not just talking about offering up beasts and birds and blood. What David says here is offer right sacrifices. And when he says right sacrifices, he's talking about something specific. He's talking something about something more in line with Psalm fifty-one seventeen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. 
So when you come to the end of your day and you have all these, these wounds that you've received from others and all of these sins that you've committed weighing down heavy on your heart, God is beckoning you to offer those up to him, to come to him with all of your brokenness and wounds, come to him confessing your sins and transgressions and offer your, yourself to him as the broken sinner you are. That's what he's beckoning you to do at the end of every day. And not only that, not only offer right sacrifices, but trust him. And why does he say that? Well, he says that because all of our sacrifices that we offer to the Lord are ultimately going to be imperfect. They're not going to be right in the way that they should be. There's only one sacrifice that uh, is truly and perfectly right, and that sacrifice was made by the Lord himself. That sacrifice was Jesus on the cross. God come to him, uh, God come to us in flesh. Jesus alone was right. Jesus alone was righteous. Jesus alone was right with God. He lived exactly how God designed humanity to live. He loved God and he loved others unreservedly. He was everything a human should be. And yet, as that perfect human, he went to the cross and he died the death that the rest of us deserved to die. He offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf to atone for us, to reconcile us to God, to make us a people who are welcomed and accepted into the, into the presence of God forever. And, and his presence, and God's presence, is where we find true rest, true peace, true joy, true relief. And this God who welcomes us and accepts us now in Christ, as Dan said last week, he is all that he is for us. He is our rest and our refuge. That's why we uh, give ourselves to these practices in the first place, because it's in them that we meet with this God who is himself our rest and our refuge. It is in these practices that we uh, avail ourselves to God's grace and his mercy and his, and, his, and his presence. And so because of what Christ has done and because we're freely and fully accepted by God, we're not just people who need rest, we're people who receive rest. Look at how the psalm comes to a close. The psalm began in a frenzy with a clamoring request, but it comes to a quiet conclusion. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is what David needed, and and this is what he was pursuing in the aforementioned practices. But this kind of, of rest is a gift and one that God alone can give. If you've been paying attention to the psalm at all, as we've been kind of working our way through it, you'll have seen it throughout. Verse 1, when David is in distress, he turns to God. Why? Because God has given him relief when he was in distress before. God is a God who gives relief to his children when they're in distress. He makes space for us. He gives us room to breathe. When the pressures of life are overwhelming us, he gives us space. He makes an opening for us. When you feel trapped, when you feel hemmed in, when you feel surrounded, there is God ready to give you relief. Next in verses 2 to 3, when David is is feeling shame for the slander being spoken of, he's, he's embarrassed. He finds security in the reality that God has set him apart and hears him when he cries out to him. God knows David, and he's given David a new identity. He has set David apart, and he's given David this identity that isn't based on whatever his enemies say about him. It's based on what God says about him. And God says that David has been set apart for himself and that God hears him. He is God's beloved child. 
And, and again, you, you know what it's like to have been fundamentally misunderstood, to be slandered, to be suspected, to be accused. And if you trust in Christ, those things can hurt. Yes, they, they can hurt and, and they can make you angry. But ultimately, you won't despair because your hope, your joy, your identity is firm and fixed because it's based on what God says about you and his word is sure. He has set you apart for himself. He hears you when, when you call. You are his beloved child, fully and freely accepted forever, declared righteous in Jesus. It's true. What God says about you is truer than what anyone else says about you. Next, in verses 6 to 7, when all of those people are complaining to David about their lack of riches and possessions, David says, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Again, David has a joy that isn't based on circumstances or possessions. David knows that you can have everything but still have nothing. An abundance of food in the fridge uh, and possession of property will not ultimately satisfy. Only the presence of God can do that. So you see this pattern. David is in distress and God is his relief. David is being slandered and God is his security. David is is hearing the complaints of the people of Israel about needing uh, their possessions and finding joy in possessions. And David's joy is abundant and fixed because it's found in God alone. And because God gives David relief, security, and joy, he can, in peace, both lie down and sleep, for God alone makes him dwell in safety. Now notice that this safety, this peace, can only be found in God. It's only found in God. And C.S. Lewis points out in his autobiography that, that we will never find joy by looking for joy itself. Joy can only be found as a consequence of having communion with God. And likewise, uh, we will never find peace and safety and rest by looking for those things in and of themselves. The joy, the peace, the, the kind of rest that David is talking about here only comes as a side effect of the presence of God. True joy, true peace, true rest, true safety will never be found apart from the presence of God. True joy, true rest, true peace, true safety will only be found in the presence of God. And there it is found in fullness. You see, David doesn't need to sit up into the late watches of the night, worrying and fretting and fearing, agonizing anxiously because he's found rest, he has found peace, he has found safety in his God. God in his his infinite beauty and in his refreshing majesty and in his warm-hearted sovereignty and his overflowing, abundant goodness that flows so freely to his children. David finds satisfaction. He's more than enough. For David, and he's more than enough for us. He's a fortress and a refuge for the weak and weary. He's a, he's a soft bed to lay down on at night. His promises are softer than any pillow, and his, 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 his embrace is warmer than, than any blanket. And how much more can we boast in the peace and the rest of God on this side of the coming of Jesus? It's in Jesus that we see this God of rest and peace and safety most clearly. It is in him that we meet with God. It was Jesus who said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's Jesus who said, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. 
It's Jesus who said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's Jesus who brings us into rest, into peace, into the safety of God. In him, you've been set apart for God. In him, you can approach God and find safety and security and comfort in God's presence. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. Nothing can compromise his plan or his love for you. And in fact, the sufferings of this present age can only heighten your expectation for his plans of the future of his people. A future of only joy and peace and rest forever and ever. And this is why we pray in the evening. We pray in the evening because God alone is our true rest. Like David, when your day comes to an end and you feel like you're at your end, God is there to meet you as your only true rest and refuge. He is there as your relief, as your security, as your joy. He's there to give you space to exhale. He's there to give you space to breathe. He's there to meet you as you offer yourself and your day and your anger and all of your issues up to him. He's with you in the silence. He's beckoning you to find your rest, your true rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we are a people that need rest. We are a people that need peace. We are a people that need to be satisfied by your goodness. Your your goodness, your presence is better than life. And so that's exactly what we need. And we won't find satisfaction or rest or peace in anything else or anywhere else. And so, Lord, would you, as, as we approach the table now, would you give us communion with your son as we partake of the bread and, and the cup? Would you give us communion with your son and, and strengthen us? Would you give us relief in our weariness? In our distress, would you give us comfort from whatever situations we're facing right now? Lord, we want to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen.